Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. That's and me. I'm Randy. Yeah, I almost said it for you. I'd, I never know like what the appropriate way to do it is. Yeah, let's, let's keep it light and we're change just, it up every we're week. We're just going to keep moving. <laughs> we're just going to, yeah, we, we don't care. Yeah. Anyways, we, uh, we are going to talk about something that neither Randy or myself understand today. And I hope you enjoy it. That's never stopped us from having an opinion yet. That's so. true. That's true. Um, this is a concept uh, that I've been looking for a long time for the appropriate time to to kind of start sprinkling some of this into like what we actually talk about in church. And you actually preached on it last Sunday. Well, not preached on this, but you mentioned the concept. It wasn't my initial intent. And then the longer I looked at the verse that I was preaching over, I was like, I am doing everybody a disservice if this doesn't somehow get referenced. Um, Because I believe it's true. Now, I do too. And I had not heard of it. A year ago. Yeah, I mean, so, I'm maybe know. going on a year and a half, two years. Okay. Maybe. And you're the one that brought it to me. Yeah, and I'm always skeptical about who I can talk to this about because it seems crazy. But now I'm starting to realize, like, I'm having these conversations with a lot of people that deep dive theology. And every once in a while, I'll bring this point up to them and they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm reading about that right now. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> there's more of us. Like, th- this is actually a thing. Um, what we're talking so about. club. Secret handshake. I don't want it to be a club. I want it to be like <laughs> something on everybody's plate so they can at least digest it and come to some conclusions themselves. So what are we talking about? The sons of God. The okay. divine council. Um, how else to put this? Uh, kind of like watchers from like the book of Enoch would be kind of coming here. Uh, angels, demons. Um, but Let's start with a basic definition. What's what's a thirty second uh, elevator speech definition of uh-huh. the divine council? So 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 wait 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 wait. I actually highlighted Michael Heiser. We're okay. going to be talking a lot about this guy today. Michael Heiser. If you ever hear this podcast, please come on and talk to me. You're a genius. I love you. I want to talk to you and pick your brain. But um, the unseen realm. Is the uh, is the book, and he actually um, said he says it like this. He says uh, in the next three chapters, I'll explain how the ancient biblical writers originally conceived this kingship of of God from the beginning of creation. What we'll discover amounts to the real focus of the Bible. It's theological center, if you will. I'd put it this way, and so I highlighted this. Here we go. He said the story of the Bible is about God's will for and the rule of the realms he has created, both visible and invisible, through the imagers he has created, human and non-human. This divine agenda is played out in both realms in deliberate tandem. And so really what we're talking about here is the idea that just as we are the physical image of God, that there's a whole classification of beings out there that are the spiritual imagers of God. Okay, okay. And that we are both operating in our own realms, and we should be fully aware of each other. But we so often just kind of act like that realm doesn't exist. So we just finished a series that we called Imago Dei, and we talked about how God has placed his image in all of us. And we have allowed that image to be tarnished, and much of Scripture is about restoring that image. So the divine council would say, it's not just us. There is, uh, There are other imagers of God who are not human, but supernatural. Correct. Um, and so some, something I, I would also... Um, maybe mention, since we just brought up the whole imagers of God thing, um, we may have been talking about it, not wrong, but maybe there's a better way of talking about it, that, you know, we said, like, we are tarnished images of God, which is true, but nonetheless, we are images of God, solely because that's what we've been created to be, 
Now, either we're leaning into that or we're not, you know. But at the end of the day, we're images of God because that's just what we are. There's not okay. really something about us that makes us that. Okay. It's that when God made us, he said, that's what you'll be. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, some people try to break it down to, oh, well, we have a soul or we have uh, the ability ability to think intelligently or we have the ability to communicate with God or we have – well, when we start looking at animals and stuff, we, there's gorillas that know sign language and they're not the image of God. You know, they're it's a, it's a monkey. Right. You know, or, you know, uh, we we start to say, well, it's got to be like sentient. It's got to be well, – a, a, a fetus in the womb can't think yet, but – it's an image of God still, you right, know? Right. And so we have to be careful how we define that. Okay. We are the image of God because that's what we were designed to be. Okay, okay. Yeah. What, what I love about this concept, it's, it's not, for me, uh, when I, when I uh, read a little bit about it and, and came to understand a little bit more about it, it didn't change anything that I believed. It's, it's not that what I believed before was wrong, but it answered a lot of unanswered questions. A lot of things that I just looked at, I kind of shook my head head and said, well, I really don't understand that. I'm not, I don't know why it's that way or, or why they use that word. And I'm just going to skip over those things kind of make more sense now. Yeah. Not that all of the questions are answered, but, uh, quite a few. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, um, it's kind of like, I I don't know, I feel like my eyes have just been opened to a truth that I was not formerly aware of. And while I know very little about it, the picture's starting to come together more. Like you said, there's vast chunks of the Bible now that make way more sense to me than they ever did before. Um, Like, you know, we'll get into this later, but like when Paul talks about the the powers and principalities, stuff like that. That stuff never really gets fully hashed out unless you put it in the perspective of this. Right. Or or when I looked at that before, it was, okay, so that's spiritual powers. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in this kind of a, of, of a, of a dressing, this kind of, of uh, uh, understanding this reality, it's more than just, oh, yeah, those are spiritual powers. It's... There is a very specific group of things that he was referring it is, to. It is an entity that he's talking about right. when he when he talks about powers and principalities. Right. It's it's more than just some like ideological thing. Right. It's it is a living creature. Yes. Or a group of creatures, I yeah. should say. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's odd. It's it's I don't know. I I, I think maybe the best way to go about this, because we don't really know the best way to go about this. <laughs> is maybe start from the beginning and then just start kind of working our way through just sure, various sure. instances throughout Scripture and how so, it all kind of comes together. What What are the basic Scriptures that present the concept of a divine council? The beginning of Genesis immediately gets into it. Um, uh, when God says, is it 126? Uh, let us create yeah. them in our image. Let us create them in our image. Um, a lot of people try to take this the route of the Trinity, but when you get into the basic linguistics of it, it just doesn't work that way. Right, right. It doesn't work that way. And actually what you read is, let us make them in our image, right? And then immediately it's, and then God, he created them. He did this. He did that. So it's like this announcement to this group of beings that God is saying, "Hey, we're gonna make we're gonna make humans, and they're gonna be like us. They're gonna be image bearers, okay. just like you guys. They're gonna be my image on Earth. Let's go make these guys." And then He turns around and He does all the creating. It doesn't take away from God's sovereignty. It doesn't take away from God's creatorship. It's just like. Just like he wants us to be a part of what he's doing here on earth, it's like he wanted this heavenly host, which is really what we're talking about, right. to be a part of the creation of man. Hey, guys, we're going to do this. We're going to make man. Come on. And then he turns around and he makes man, and it's like they're kind of part of that process with okay. him. They're standing there watching it happen. The way Heiser talks about it, he says, it's like if I walk into a party of my friends and say, hey, guys, let's order pizza. I'm the one that initiated the idea. 
I'm paying for the pizza, but I'm still turning around and looking at everybody and saying, hey, let's, let's order some pizza. Let you know? us do this. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. It's like I'm still the one getting all the pizza and bringing the pizza, but it's for us. We're all part of this pizza, you know. Um, and that's that's kind of the first hint of it. Um, but we – Genesis is really heavy with it. Um, the next time I think it comes up is – we we do see you know the serpent in the garden right so we see see Adam and Eve um, communicating with something that isn't God in the garden and they're talking to it like it's a trusted thing right why are they so trusting of this talking whatever this thing is right um, we could I don't know I, I suppose there's some argument on whether or not that is a heavenly being or whether it's a, just a talking snake right. I could see right. that argument. Um, I think it's a heavenly being. But beyond that, we go after the fall of man, right? And I think that's important we talk through that. That's the initial fall of of man is when Adam and Eve eat the fruit in the garden that they are told not to eat. Right. Right? Right. But then right after that, in Genesis chapter 6, I believe it is, Mm -hmm. um, it says – you want to flip over there and read that for us? Uh, Genesis 6, 1 to uh, 3, and you might want to get into 4 as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the earth, uh, then the people began to multiply in the earth, and daughters were born to them. And the sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. The Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time. They're only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. And this comes right after Genesis 5, where you get this long list of uh, ancestors, uh, descendants of Adam that lived for like 800, 900 years. Yes. Methuselah, 969 years. Yeah. So I will say I've seen some other, we, we won't go into that. We'll, we'll talk about that some yeah. other time. <laughs> I know where you're going. And, yeah, that's, and I don't know if I'd buy it, but that's it's another school of thought. a different day. Yeah. Right. Um, are you an NLT, by the way? I am. Okay, I thought so. Um. So there it talks about the sons of God. Now, this is one of the verses that after after reading about the divine council, I sat back and I said, okay, now that makes sense. That, that you know, before I struggled with the concept of heavenly beings coming to earthly women, but in the context of a divine council, uh, in in a context in which the sons of God were image bearers of God. Mm-hmm. And mankind was image bearers of God. And in a tarnished, twisted, warped sort of a way, yeah. the sons of God uh, lust after women, yeah. uh, daughters of men, and they come. Well, it's kind of made clear that they're not supposed to kind of commingle in that way. They're not supposed to, like it's like the sons of God and and then like human women or uh, vice versa, I suppose, are are not supposed to have sex. Right. And, and the reason that's made clear is in verse four. It says, "In those days, and for some time after, giant nephilites, or sometimes you'll see nephilim." Mm-hmm. Um, lived on the earth for whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. I don't know about you, but my immediate thought there is Hercules. I think about this idea of a half God, half man. And you start thinking through all these historical, well, I say historical myths from all over the world or what we would call myths. But you wonder if those myths don't have a historical basis that there's an somewhere in the past something happened and now they tell that story and to their kids twisted it right but it still has a kernel of truth there right what do you got there i got the hebrew bible i was just looking at this because i was interested in um what the tra- I, I don't do hebrew all that well but uh, the sons of God had intercourse with women, and they gave birth to heroes and famous 
warriors. So, uh, yeah, and uh, the sons of, uh, okay, the daughters, uh, the sons of Elohim, God, and the daughters of Adam, Adam, man, and uh, they bore to them uh, Nephilim, uh, no, excuse me, Giborim. Uh, that's that's uh, warriors, I think. Uh, I was wondering if it, this referred back to Elohim, called them Elohim, but it doesn't. No, not yet. I don't think that's present until later in the Psalms, which okay. kind of ties it all together. Okay. We'll okay. get there. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. <laughs> but but what I think is so interesting here is you see this happen, right? You see the the sons of God, they have intercourse with the daughters of man. They have children by them. Those ch- Those children are giants, and they're heroes of old. And the men of renown is what right, some translations right, say. Right, right. And then in the next breath, in uh, Genesis 6, 5, it said, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them, but Noah found favor with the Lord. And so what we see is God immediately after this act happens is like, this is terrible. (laughs) We're going to wipe everything out. And then he starts over with one man and his family. Right. Okay. And that's important. Um, so this is the second fall or the, the, the Jewish people would have seen, or the ancient nearest Eastern people would have seen three falls. We talk about one fall today in our culture, right? but this is what many people throughout history would have seen as the second fall, which was the fall of the sons of God. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Or a, or a fall, I suppose, of the sons of God, not all of the sons fell, but, but some do here, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So so then we have to go on to the third fall. Okay. Unless there's anything you want to add there. No, no, just that intertestamental literature picks up on this and uh, kind of expands it and talks about uh, who the Nephilim were and what what uh, uh what book Enoch, yeah. Enoch, it's it's the watchers. Yeah. Uh and and uh some of them actually survived the flood. Mm-hmm. Uh one of them uh, a giant named Og sits on top of the ark hmm. and survives the flood and carries sin beyond uh, the, uh, the flood. That's so crazy. Yeah. It's so crazy, man. There's so much going on. And that's picked up in the movie Noah. Really? With Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in the movie Noah, he hides away inside the ark, but it's King Og. And there is a king later in, ooh, boy, I think it's in Numbers, a King Og, who wouldn't be the same guy, but it would be someone named for that country's memory hmm. of this. So anyway. That's interesting. Yeah. Not yeah. to say that we believe not, not the, at the all. book of Enoch is real. No. Um, but something, it, it's it's more to say... When you read the book of Enoch, which is, like you said, intertestamental literature. It's not in your Bible. It's not a it real It was book written after the Old Testament, before the New Testament. Right. It is not scripture. It's not canon. But it reflects what they believed at that time. Exactly. And so it could point us to some possible truths. It, and, there could be some possible truths And there. so it's interesting to read stuff like that and say, how does this mesh with what the Bible actually says? And then we can take some of that, and sometimes it can help us make a clearer picture of, yeah. of what the Bible yeah. is hashing out. Um, so the third fall. The third fall. That's what I talked about on Sunday. Um, I skipped two because we didn't really need it, and right. it's a whole lot of information. Right. Um, but it's at the Tower of Babel. Um, like I said on Sunday, this last Sunday, um, when God made Adam and Eve, he gave them – the job of um, being fruitful and multiplying. Mm-hmm. Go and spread my influence. Go be my image bearers. It's almost to say that he was saying, like, let's 
take this Garden of Eden and let's spread its influence across this earth. Because the Garden was just a centralized location. We often think of the Garden of Eden as this like, like that it was the whole earth. But there's really nothing to point to that biblically. Right. Um, And after the flood, the first thing God says to Noah is, Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Right. He gives the exact same command. The very same command. So you can't just say, well, they forgot. Right. Because Noah was given the very same command. And so it's like he he restarted. He started with two people. Right. He's restarting with one man and his family and giving him the same commission as before. Right. Fill all the earth. I have given all the animals into your power. Mm-hmm. And so now he's turning around, and we get to the Tower of Babel. So this okay. is sometime after Noah, and all the people of the earth centralize right. in one location at right. Babel. Right. And it says this. It says, at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. Mm-hmm. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the city of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. So you get this repetition of the word scattered, and that's that's so important to what's going on here. Yep. Because... God says to Adam, and later says to Noah, be fruitful, multiply, scatter, right, fill the earth. right. And the people come together and they build the Tower of Babel, specifically saying, this way we will not be scattered. We won't have to be scattered. Yeah. And we, we can, can build a name here. for ourselves. So God comes down, which is interesting. They build a tower up into heaven. Did you notice, though, he said, let us... Let us and he says, come Let down. Us. That's right. So once again, he is speaking to the heavenly host to come down with him. A divine council. A divine council. And let's confuse them and scatter them. And then he repeats scattered like three or four times in this passage. Yeah, it's a it's a very central theme, right? And it ends up in this way, he scattered them all over the world. Right. So either <laughs> either you obey me because you choose to obey me. Or I will force you to obey me. <laughs> exactly. And so, what happens here? Um, and maybe, maybe we should maybe we should jump over here really quick to talk about when they're scattered, how that how that works before we we get okay. these. Um, it, it says this. Where are you now? Deuteronomy eighteen. Thirty. Is it? Is it eighteen? I think it's Deuteronomy 18. I'm sorry, I was thinking 28. It's 32, I think. I may be wrong. No, it's not 18. You're right. It's 32. Is it 32, 18? Is that what I'm getting mixed up here? I think so. No? Here, let me Google this really quick. 28, 32? (laughs) Sorry, guys. I didn't write it down. I know. There's so... All the numbers are kind of similar. Da, da, da. Nah, I'm going to look it up. It is 32.8. That was it. All right. So yeah. it says, When the Most High assigned the lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, Babel, he established the boundaries of the people's According to the number in his heavenly court. Interesting. Now, this in the original. Do you you've got the Hebrew Bible? There? I do. Could you look up the actual? Doesn't say that. Yeah. It says the sons of Israel. That's correct. Right. Right. But Israel wasn't but, a thing yet. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And so it is interesting to me that, that the NLT actually does say the heavenly host or the sorry heavenly court. 
Well, and and not only that, but also the apparatus. Uh, uh, other um, texts, mm-hmm. uh, what it says here, uh, according to uh, in the in the Septuagint, which I also have here, the angels of God. Angels of God. That's yep. not. That's not the sons of Israel. Right. That is. Uh, the angels of God. Actually, I'm curious to see what my what my Bible so the here Septuagint tells me. says that uh, the Syriac versions say that, and my Bible just skips right over that one. It's got a, it's got a reference for every verse there except that one. <laughs> it, it mentions that this probably is translating the sons of El of God or the sons of Elohim. Yeah. Either one. So, what what it's saying here is that when God divided the nations um, back at Babel, he divided them up and drew the boundary lines according to the number of his sons, of the sons of God, of his heavenly council. So what you're seeing here is it's almost like God is saying... Okay, you don't want to worship me. You don't want to. You don't want to do my commands. You don't want me to be your god. Um, and fine, you, I'm not going to make you, but I am going to give you some form of governance. And so he goes and he divides the nations, scatters them, confuses their language, which would have made tons of different nations at that point in time. Right, right, right. And he did so according to the number of his sons, assigning each one of those sons over each one of those nations as their oversight, as kind of a manager or like a, a, to be the image, really to be an image bearer of God okay. to those people when you think about it, right? Because that's their job. They're spiritual image bearers of God. Right. So they're to be the image bearer of God to the physical image bearers of God, but it doesn't work. Do you have anything... Yeah, one thing, one thing, and it's in chapter 10, I think, primarily. And that is that actually languages existed before uh, Babel, as did nations. So in 10, uh, 10.5, their descendants became seafaring peoples that spread out to various lands, each identified by its own language, its own clan, its own national identity. And you get about four times there a reference to nations and languages. Uh, it's there in verse 5. And this, in this verse is verse 20. This is chapter 10 before the Tower of Babel. Okay. Chapter 10, uh, verse 20. These are the descendants of Ham, identified by clan, language, territory, and national identity. And then you get 31. These were the descendants of uh, Shem, identified by clan, language, territory, and national identity. And uh, that's it. Then you get a reference to the nations that descended from the clans after the Great Flood. So if languages existed before Babel, what happened in Babel? Actually, what uh, the first few verses say is that no matter what language people spoke as a national language, they shared a common merchant language, kind of like Swahili in Africa. And what God did was he came down and he made them forget that common language that they had. All they had then was their native tongues, and they couldn't understand each other. So it kind of knocked them down a few notches. Exactly, exactly. That's interesting. Um, I mean, it really fits with the idea of let's be gathered together and not scatter. Let's make this language that we can all speak so we're all one. So God comes down. Not only does he scatter them, but he makes them forget that language. So, Okay. Yeah, kind of keep them from doing that again. Yeah. Or, or at least yeah. making it much, much harder, right? Um, and, so, and so he's taken his his spiritual sons, Mm -hmm. 
um, what we would probably refer to as angels, right? Okay. Um, which I think is an inaccurate way of doing it. But right. For the sake of this moment. Right. That's what we're going to do. Gotcha. Um, but he assigns them over these nations um, to watch over them and to be be a presence of God in their lives, right? Yeah. But then we go read Psalm 82, and this is what it says. Okay, now, before you go there, in chapter 10, he has just named all these nations. Okay. There's 70. There might be. I mean, <laughs> we were there's ta- there's we a were, pile of them. We were talking about that earlier. It, it, Michael Heiser attributes 70 nations to this story, and I was not quite sure where he was pulling that number from, but if that's it, that makes and sense. And that might come from chapter 10. That makes a lot of sense. And the reference there is their own clans, their own nations, their own national identity. Hmm. Okay. So now go to Psalm 82. Okay. It says, God presides over heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on the heavenly beings. How long will you hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked? Give uh, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. But these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant, they wander about in darkness, while the whole world is shaken to the core. I say, you are gods, you are all children of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. NIV says, all the nations are your inheritance. There there are so many crazy translations of this passage. And they're all off, at least a little bit. Um, what I mean, what I just read there is God stands in judgment on the heavenly beings, right? It says this, right. heavenly beings. Right. Okay? The actual word there is God's. <laughs> it says Elohim stands in judgment of Elohim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Elohim yeah. is God. Um, and we've talked about this once before, I think, in a podcast where where we mentioned that that Elohim, it's translated God, but... It doesn't mean... It, like, we... The problem is the way we use the word God. Right. We, we think of the word God and think that that word can only apply to Yahweh, to Jesus, right. to the right. Most High God, Right. Um, the problem is that's not how it works. Um, a god is simply a spiritual being. It's someone who takes up residency in the spirit realm, in the heavenly realm. It is not a classification of – I don't want to say that. It, it doesn't put somebody on the same rank as God, as Christ. That's not what we're saying. Um, for instance, we know that God or that Jesus you know, is – the king of kings, right? right? Right. We don't get weird when I talk about King Edward. Right. We don't go, oh, well, no, no, no. He can't be king. Jesus is the king. And it's like, no, no, no. Jesus is the king, and there are earthly kings that are beneath Christ, that are not Christ, that are not unique like Christ. They aren't even close. Um, it's the same with the word God. And so what's happening here is the word God here is really just talking about spiritual beings talking about these sons of God. Yeah. That's that's what's in reference. And really more than that, it's those same gods, those same sons of God that were put in charge over the nations. That's beautiful. Here's Psalm 82. Elohim, God, he stands among the court of El. Hmm. The court of God. Mhm. In the midst of Elohim, in the midst of gods, in the midst of gods, he judges. Because you can't, because you can't stand in the midst of one. Right, right, right. And then the next verse, uh, well, yeah. After that, he 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 gets into the other stuff. But pick it up again when you come down to verse six. 
And he says, uh, I say to you, uh, you are Elohim. Elohim. You, are gods. you are gods. And it's got to be plural because it's you plural right. are gods. And the sons of Elion. The God most high. Uh, uh, God most high. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, you will die like uh, like men. Yeah. You will, yeah, like so, Adam. So here's the really interesting thing about this, right? You just you just did that directly from the Hebrew Bible. Right. It said you are gods. It's talking right. about gods. Right. Turns around and says you will die like men, making reference saying you've done evil, you've done wicked things, and now your punishment is that you're going to die just like men die. Right. right. So if he's talking to men, if he's talking to like religious rulers or something. What versus, sense does that make? Why does he have to specify that you're going to die like men? They already die already like men. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But then you turn around and you walk down here into our application study Bible. And I'm going <laughs> to read what this says. God judges, human judges. The integrity of the justice system in a nation provides a clear indication of the health of the society, as is the case with all leadership. Judges derive their authority ultimately from God and will give an account to God for their verdicts. Believers are commanded to pray for the kings and all who are in authority so we can live peacefully and quiet life. It's If you do not understand and apply the heavenly counsel to this psalm, right? you've got to make some sort of a statement like that. But that's not what it's saying. It's not what it says. And so don't get me wrong. What this is saying applicationally can be supported elsewhere in Scripture. And it's true, mm-hmm. and it's right, and it's good teaching. Absolutely. But it's not what this verse is about. Right. And that's the problem. Okay. And, it's, and we get weird because we get, we get scared because this threatens the way we think about things. The problem is we have missed uh, – how do I say this? We, we've, we have not fully hashed out a lot of really difficult passages in the Old okay. Testament. And then now when we come to them, we just either skip over them or we make up something that fits our, our worldview as it already is. So, so there's one more element in uh, what, I've, what I've read about the divine counsel that we haven't really talked about. Let's, let's hop into that. Uh, cliff note version to this point is that God reached a point where he looked at the nations and he split the nations up and gave them to spiritual beings, Correct. heavenly beings, they to govern them, but they did a really bad job of it. Yeah. They, instead of pointing those nations to God, they pointed them to themselves, Correct. and man began to worship these other heavenly beings as, God. as if they were gods, right. and they weren't. Well, so- Really, I think the issue is this. Okay, they are gods. Okay, so we have yeah, to be yeah, careful. We have Elohim. to be careful how we say this. Gotcha. They are Elohim. They are gods. Right. God is a god. Right. Angels are god. They're gods. Right. right? They are not the god. But they are Elohim not is El- 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 Elion, the god most, <laughs> the high, most high, the god of the gods, the, the king god of, of gods. the kings, right. the lord of the lords, right? The only one that deserves worship. He is unique, exactly, and that's the issue. And he they is got the only to one worship worthy themselves. of worship. Exactly. Except Israel. Right. And so that's what's really interesting. We have to go back to... Abraham, right? Right. Right after... Babylon, right? Right after Babylon. The very next chapter. Um, The very next chapter, God turns around and he goes to this man, just this, this some dude living in, what is it, Canaanite? Is that right? Canaanite territory? No, 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 no. Well, he eventually ends up in Canaanite territory, but he is uh, Hittite. He's Hittite. He is from Ur of the Chaldees. That's it, that's it, that's it. Yep. Um, And so he turns around and he looks at him and he says, hey, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to be my people. And it's really interesting that he chooses this man named Abram, right? Because Abram can't even have kids. Him and his wife are too old. They're right. barren. Right. But God raises up a nation out of this barren couple that is going to be his portion. All the other gods got their portion. God handed over all the earth because the earth didn't want to worship Christ. It didn't want right. to worship right. God. 
and be careful saying Christ. Right. Didn't want to worship God. But since he's turned over all the nations, God makes a nation for himself out of a barren man and woman. When he first starts appearing to Abraham, Abraham's uh, 70 years old and Sarah's 50. And like scripture says, the custom of women had already passed from her. Right, right. (laughs) She was, I mean, she was menopausal. Right. She was barren. When God promises Abraham that she will bear him a son, Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 80. The beautiful thing about this, though, is uh, I'm I'm not remembering the exact verses, but uh, the Old Testament talks about God giving the portions to the other sons of God, and it stipulates, but Israel is my portion. This is what God has carved out for himself. This is his own people that he deals with directly. Right, right. In fact, what what God says to Abram, uh, or Abraham, uh, is uh, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native con- uh, country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's huge. That's important because what God's doing here is God is devising his plan on how he is going to take all the nations back. That's the idea, right? The nations didn't want to be near God. They didn't want to love God. Now they're worshiping these other, you know, lesser gods, his sons, his divine counsel as gods. The sons of God have fallen. Right, because right. that well, not right. all of them, but right. but some have. Some are being worshipped, and now they're going to die like men. Some of the sons of God have been thrown into, as we'll see later in Scripture. We probably won't have time to cover that today, but have been thrown into chains in darkness for having sex with human women. Okay. Right, so we've seen sons of God have fallen. Man has fallen. Right, but somehow God is in, he, he's creating a plan that is going to bring back all the nations to Himself. And he's going to do it through Jesus. And that's the whole idea, is this is going to be the bloodline through which Jesus will come. So does that take us to the New Testament then? I think it has to. Okay. Yeah. So what happens in the New Testament? You've been doing a little more uh, reading here than okay. I have. So, yeah, I remembered a verse in in uh, Ephesians. And why don't we start with that? Now, this is beyond... Beyond Jesus, this is after Jesus' ministry. R- really quick, should we mention Psalm two? Just well, to kind of you tie did it. on Sunday, yeah. Just, just, just kind of wrap just that a up. Quick, yeah, just a quick reference here, just to kind of put a bow on that, um, and then I'll let you take over. Um, so it says this: It says, "Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle." The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask... And I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth is your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry. And you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. The thing, the thing to pick up on here is only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And that's what Psalm 82. Psalm 82 ends with it. Ends with that. It says, rise up, O God, and judge all the world, for all the nations are your inheritance. <laughs> so this man that is going to rise up out of David's root, out of David's lineage, 
right? This son of David, this man, has to be God himself. <laughs> because God's inheritance is all the nations. Wow. So we get the incarnation in Psalm 2. We get the incarnation in Psalm 2. And there is one more thing I just remembered in Old Testament if you want to hit it before we go to New Testament. Let's do it. I don't have all of this worked out, but it is worth talking about really quick. Okay. Is when Daniel is visited oh, by the angel yeah, of the Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Daniel uh, prays, he asks for direction, and he hears nothing. Right. He gets no response. And finally, he gets a response, and the angel says, I was held up by the prince of Persia. I was, in, I was in battle. I was in battle with the prince of Persia. The prince of Persia came to me and tried to keep me from coming to tell you what God wanted to tell you. Yeah. And I've only now been able to beat him up enough that I can get away and talk Is it to just you. the prince of Persia or are there several? Uh, I think there's a couple. But the, the thing that's interesting, though, is the way. Here it is. Here it is. Daniel 10, 12. Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request was heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my ways. And then Michael, one of the archangels, came down to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So Michael stepped in and started fighting the prince of Persia, and the messenger angel went on to Daniel. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. This vision concerns a time that's yet to come. And in the next chapter, he talks about other kings, the king of the north, the king of the south, three more Persian kings. And whether he's talking about spiritual it's like it's like it's, these, it's it's like it's one in the it's same. Confusing. It's yeah. like the kingdom itself is being ruled by a spiritual king as well as an earthly one. Is what you really see here. Um, the other thing is that that angel is the angel of the Lord that visited Daniel. It's Christ. It's pre-incarnate Christ. And I don't remember if it says it right off. But he worships it. He worships it. That's what it is. I do believe. We get, you want me to look it up? No, I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm, I'm reading through. Guys, we have so many books here. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, 18. I'm not sure it's that angel. He says in 18, Then the one who looked like a man touched me again. I felt my strength returning. And that appears to be the angel of the Lord. He said, touch me again, though. Did he touch him before? Um, Food for thought. Yeah. Food for thought. I'm not sure. Oh, there in verse 20 is the reference to the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia and then the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece. Okay. And then he says, no one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince. So is Which Michael is Michael I the spirit prince of Israel? I don't Israel? know. And this is apocalyptic literature, and uh, it's, it's, it's hard for me to make it out because sometimes they say things in a way that you can't interpret literally. It's a lot. I don't know. But the, po- it, the point is, the point is, though. Whether whether this is the angel of the Lord or not, and I'll, I'll dig into that a little more. I, um, but what this is saying is that these other nations are being run by what we, once again, would probably refer to as demonic entities. Yeah, I would once again say that's an overly simplified way of stating it. Um, but these are fallen sons of God yeah. ruling over these other nations, trying to keep the angels of God, the sons of God, from getting to Daniel to go answer his prayers. Right. This right. is spiritual warfare. Right. Happening in the Old Testament. Wow. So okay. anyways, sorry. With that. So we come back to the book of uh, 
uh, Ephesians and going to the very last chapter. Uh, it's Ephesians uh, chapter 6, the passage when uh, Paul starts to talk about the armor of God. Starting in verse 10, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So rulers and authorities, uh, some of the older translations I think says powers and principalities, mm-hmm. um, mighty powers of darkness, and then evil spirits in the heavenly places. You know, before I would read that and I would say, yeah, you know, our fight is against spiritual influences, but it seems like Paul is saying something more here. It's not just a spiritual, a negative spiritual influence, but that there are powers. Right. And in some, at some level, we battle against actual powers. Right. Now, I went back and I looked up and uh, I found eight different times when uh, powers and principalities or like it says here, rulers and um, authorities, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Uh, Most of it occurs in Ephesians and Colossians. One mention in Titus, Ephesians 1, 21 He's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader, uh, not only in this world, but in the world to come. 2-2, he is the, let's see, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. 3-10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all of the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 612, we already looked at. Pick it up again in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, verse 16. He has made the things we can see and the things we can't see, like thrones, kingdoms, Rulers and authorities in the unseen world. 2.10, you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every rule and authority. Same words that's used in Ephesians 6.12. 2.15, in this way, uh, by the cross, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. I mean, you get the idea that when Paul says that, he's not just saying spiritual influence. He's saying there is something out there that when Christ died on the cross, he took power. Pair, he took pair that authority with the over. fact of everything we've read from the Old Testament. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, the, these were the beings that ruled over all these other nations. And now Christ has come and he has reclaimed all the nations to himself. And he has dethroned these other rulers. Titus 3, 1, remind the believers to submit to the government and all its officers. Uh, that's, why do I have Titus 3, 1 there? Oh, it's because it's uh, rulers and authorities, but uh, submit to the government and its officers. So mm. that's the earthly, earthly representation of it. One thirteen, you get this, which is really kind of important. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. And you have that reference to the kingdom of darkness in uh, Ephesians six twelve as well. And then he transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. There, it's you, you can't get any clearer. Salvation is moving us from the authority of these kings to the king, to Jesus. Well, and, and it's more than, uh, I would say it a little differently than that. 
that salvation doesn't just automatically move you from those. Um, well, sorry. Are you saying like your belief removes you from their authority? Seeing salvation, which includes God's grace and our belief. Yeah. Okay. Takes yes. us out from under their authority. Sorry, I was thinking and places us under His authority. I was just being careful, like not to make somebody think that, like, what Christ did on the cross removed, like, like immediately just brought everybody no, under right. His authority. Yes. Right. No, people still live under the kingdoms of right. these evil powers. Th- these powerless. Powers. I mean, the only power they have is what we give them, right? That is exactly right. That's a good way to put it. Jesus himself talked about that when uh, they brought Jesus before um, Pilate. Mm-hmm. Uh, just before Jesus is, is tried, convicted, and then crucified. Jesus spoke to the. This is uh, Luke 22 52 and 53. Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary? He asked that you've come with swords and clubs to arrest me. Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment. New Living Translation says the time when the power of darkness reigns. Literally says this is your moment and the moment of the power of darkness. Hmm. So here's a question. When we talk about when we talk about Satan, when we talk about the devil, mm-hmm. um, something I've kind of wondered is like, is that one particular son of God, fallen son of God, I- or is it a group? I kind of think there is one who is at the head, right? but I don't think he does everything. I think he right. delegates. Right. And well, he's led a rebellion. But right. It's just so, it's so hard because there's such limited information about what the devil right. is, right. like right. What, who he is, what he is. Right. We give him names. We say, oh, it's Lucifer or Satan. or it's, So many of those things can be argued that they're just titles. That, that maybe there really isn't a, a name given, you know, like it's kind of all up in the air. But what is incredibly clear is there's a whole lot of bad guys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's and they right. want you and me dead and they don't want us glorifying Christ. Right. And they're pretty – they're incredibly weakened, but they're not totally destroyed yet. They're not powerless. Yeah, right. <clears throat> but the, their power is definitely limited. Exactly, exactly. That Christ is the authority now in power. Right, right. That those things are no longer calling the shots. And actually we have power as well in as much as we take Christ's power on us. And that's the point of uh, uh, the spiritual armor in Ephesians 6. Mm-hmm. Everything that's mentioned there, the breastplate of righteousness and that, helmet of, tr- the, of of salvation and the belt of truth, those are all actual items mentioned mostly in the book of Isaiah that the Messiah wore. Mm. So what Paul is basically saying clothe is put on Christ. Jesus. Yeah, clothe yourself in Christ. Put on Jesus and go to war because it ain't you, buddy. It's him. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, the other thing that you brought up to me earlier that I thought might be worth mentioning you were talking about the word for authorities there mm-hmm. is actually the beginning. Oh, the word for ruler. Ruler, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the word that's used, there's a number of words that could be translated leader. But Paul chooses to use the word that also means the beginning. It's the very same word that occurs in John in one one. In the beginning was the word. And the idea is the beginning is the head, the head is the ruler. So you get that idea of ruler being, uh, you know, the, the sort of the source of everything. But you wonder if Paul doesn't use this particular word to refer back to Eden, back to the tower, to, to Genesis six and the Nephilim, the back to the Tower of Babel, and. Uh, 
These are the guys that have been around for a long, long time. Man, it's so crazy. Like, here's the thing. that We're kind of nearing the end of my studies on this. I, I don't know how much more I could just kind of... What you've studied up to this point. Right, but exactly. Just, we might come back later and visit when you get some more ammunition. <laughs> yeah, which I, I would like to. I'd like to hash this stuff out more because I think it's really important. Because um, I'd really like to see how this translates into Revelation, for instance. Um, mm. How this translates into, you know, life today. Um, a, a, another point I want to raise, uh, in, you know, like I said, we're probably, we're, we're at our end here. But um, some, something else I think is really important with all this is the way we think of all of this in a modern context. Right, right, right. We as Christians, a lot of us proclaim to believe in the supernatural, right? But we don't really live in a way that suggests that it's a thing. You know what I mean? We put all of our faith in in physical matters. Um, Historically, people of the ancient world would have put their faith in the spiritual realm before they put it in mm-hmm. physical matters. Um, so so we're kind of in a, a weird flip-flop of what it's historically been. Um, so I think that's something to think about. But more so, we look at people from other religions. We look at Muslims. We look at Buddhists. We look at Hindus. Um, we look at all these people that worship these other gods – and we think, well, how could they put so much faith in something make-believe? Yeah. And what I'm saying to you is the Bible says it's not make-believe. There's something real there. They are worshiping something very real. It has limited power. It has what power they give to it. That's it. They are under the authority of Christ. They have no power over Christ. They have no power over the believer if the believer is in Christ, right? right? But the thing is, they're not worshiping nothing. When God says, I am greater than any idol, he's not saying I'm greater than a bunch of make-believe things. He's saying, I'm greater than all these other gods yeah. that you're yeah. saying are so powerful. And so what's important about this is that we don't get prideful and like think lowly of people for putting their faith in their gods, they don't, they're not stupid for that. Right, they're just misled. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, we we need to be careful not to judge people too harshly and be like, what idiots? You know, like, well, you can't think that way. They just are, they're not, they're not worshiping the true God. You know, I've been thinking uh, here the last couple of minutes, uh, what is the so what to all of this? Okay, this is really interesting, but so what? So, does America have a demon that is assigned to it? Mm. I think it does. And I think even though it's powerless, a lot of Americans are giving great power to... Let's, let's take it a step back. Let's go Old Testament just for a second. Who was the God of Israel? Right, the God God Most High, High. right? Right. In a similar way, we in America have at times put our faith in God and said, you are our God, no other God, right? Right. But just like Israel, Israel's God was the Most High, and at the exact same time, there was an evil spirit called Baal, or Baal, standing over Israel, getting all the worship of Israel. And so my my point here is we can say, yeah, that the, the, the believers in this nation or the believers in any nation can worship the God most high, Jesus Christ. But at the exact same time, the temptation is standing right over there to go worship something lesser and disgusting. Yeah, yeah. And Israel did it, and why would we, why should we be any different, you know? Um so, so yeah, like what I guess I'm saying here is I think it's both. I think we have, we have God with those in this nation who believe in God and put their trust in God, just like in any nation. Right. But we have given into on a 
large scale in this country and many countries um, to the powers that be. So ultimately what we're saying is not that we need to change the way we do things and we need to start looking for gods behind every door and gods behind every tree. And uh, that is not at all what we're talking about. What we are talking about is uh, there is a spiritual reality out there and there are evil forces that are combating against us. And it's more than just an influence. There are organized spirits who are planning and strategizing the destruction of the church, the destruction of Christians. We need more than ever to be on our toes, to be not necessarily looking for them, because we start looking for them, we take our focus off Christ. Well, that's just right. Like God, God tells us, to, don't don't worry about things of this world. Don't you know, put your yeah. Put your sights on heavenly things, on godly yeah. things, on good things. Follow me first and everything else falls in place. Well, and once again, like he says, you know, if you flee from your enemy, the devil, he will leave you, right? Yeah. And so, like, just don't mess with that stuff. Don't <laughs> worry about that stuff. It's not a big deal um, unless you let it be. Right. That's the real issue here, right? Right. So go with God. Go with God and that stuff's... Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? Like it's super interesting. It's it's really interesting to know that it's a a, a present and very real reality. And but, to me, it does explain a lot of passages that I did not understand. And that's the biggest thing on why it's interesting to me. Yeah, is I've misread much of my Bible, or yeah. not necessarily misread, but read it and gone like, okay, I get what it's saying, but I do not I fully understand didn't why. Catch the full picture, and this right. helps give a, a fuller picture. Right. It doesn't change anything. Right. It just kind of fills in some of the cracks. Fills some of the blanks. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, thank you for bearing with us through this. It was a heck of a ride. <laughs> um, if you enjoyed the podcast, give us a like, thumbs up, subscribe, whatever. Press the bell. I don't know. What are all the things you can do? Whatever you Who can knows? do to help us out on whatever platform you are watching this or listening to this on. Do it. It helps us out. Um, other than that, if you got questions, send them to questions at becomehope.com or salty saints at becomehope.com. And until next time, stay salty. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.